the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good morning, Arkansas, and maybe those that are listening outside of Arkansas, but uh, this is the Dave Ellswick Show. As you can notice that this is not Dave Ellswick, this is not his voice, Uh, this is Ken Yang filling in for the legendary Dave Ellswick. Uh, My my talents on the radio is definitely not to par with Dave, but I am uh, younger and, and better looking. So I got that I that I got that going for me. So filling in for Dave Ellswick uh, uh, this morning from uh, six to eight. We got a great uh, show ahead of us, um, and uh, you know you can watch uh, and share uh, our live news feed on Facebook. Uh, but we got uh, Congressman Westerman at the uh, at the half hour mark here this morning. Congressman Hill at the seven seven hour mark, and then we got Senator uh, State Senator. Uh, ben Gilmore and Charles Beckham calling in uh, from South Arkansas uh, later this morning too. They're going to talk a little bit about you know a possible special session redistricting. You know, just a little give you a little taste of what other people are thinking about uh, whether it's mass mandate vaccines, not just you know in Central Arkansas but outside of uh, Central Arkansas. So I think that'll be uh, interesting to talk about. Lot lot going on uh, here in our state. Uh, if you're watching online, uh, I am inside, and I am not wearing a mask because that's dumb. Uh, as you all know, the CDC uh, said yesterday that if you're vaccinated or uh, if you're you know, immune, uh, we have antibodies, that you're supposed to wear masks uh, inside, or they recommend. I don't think uh, the Democrats understand the term recommend uh, versus mandate. And recommend that you still wear masks inside your own home, even if you are uh, vaccinated. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you all saw uh, Jen uh, Saki was asked, uh, you know, why, why if you're vaccinated and if you're vaccinated, if you're supposed to be immune, why do you still have to wear masks? And, she, you know, she basically said, because we said so. Uh, I think in her own words, she said, quote, public health leaders in our administration have made the determination that is what you should do, even though it's just a recommendation. So I'm glad I live in a freedom-loving state. I will say I just got back from uh, D.C. earlier this week, and really the only place that people were wearing masks was the was the metro. Uh, all around the state, all around the uh, district, uh, went to uh, restaurants, uh, other venues uh, around D.C., the museums, 
uh, hotels. No one, no one was wearing a mask in the in the woke uh, capital uh, of our nation. So it seems odd that uh, you know they want to mandate others to wear masks and, and take away our, our liberties. Uh, but you know, I I don't know what to uh, what to say about that. But I'm glad we live in a liberty loving, freedom loving state like Arkansas. So uh, before uh, this this first hour, I wanted to. I messaged uh, some folks asking them what you know what should I talk about today and uh, you know Dave does a really good job of focusing on state politics and since we're going to have the congressman uh, on uh, later uh, this morning I thought I'd focus a little bit on the 2022 elections you know those things are gearing up I'll go around the state a lot and you you'd be surprised if hearing who's all running for what and so, um, you know, I wanted to talk about some of the bigger races of people running because they're already out there. And I think it's important for uh, the listeners to know, hey, you know, you got options. Uh, this is typically now uh, where the race is going to be won is in the Republican primaries. So Democrats uh, really just don't have a chance in the general election, in my opinion. And, you know, the elections kind of speak for themselves since the Republicans are now the supermajority uh, in the House and the Senate. We hold every congressional seat. We hold every uh, constitutional uh, office here in the state. And the, for, for the first time ever in the state of Arkansas, Republicans will get to draw the House and State House and State Senate district lines of the Board of Apportionment and the congressional lines. And so a little, little confusion out there every now and then. Uh, every 10 years, the census is done and the lines are, are redrawn. Uh, the Board of Apportionment, which is made up of Governor Hutchinson, uh, Attorney General Leslie Rutledge, and Secretary of State John Thurston, they draw the state legislative lines of so the state house and state senate. And then uh, the legislature will come back, hopefully around, uh, I believe, October of this year, and the state legislature draws the congressional lines. So District 1, 2, 3, 4. It'll be French Hill, Congressman Westerman, uh, Congressman Crawford, and uh, Congressman Womack. And so then those those will be approved. And, you know, Democrats will say, oh, we only have supermajority because we gerrymandered. Eh, well, no. Uh, Ten years ago, Democrats were in charge. They drew the lines. And we still have the supermajority. So uh, one of the things, uh, you know, traveling around the state, as I mentioned, you know, who's running for what? Why are people announcing so early? Now, I think with COVID and uh, uh, people just wanting to get out and see people, I was up in Northwest Arkansas last night. We had an event where there was over 150 people uh, there, and people just wanted to get out. And so you already have people announcing for office. I'll kind of start at the uh, top. I think uh, everyone's looking at the U.S. Senate race. Uh, Senator John Bozeman is up for re-election. He has already announced uh, for uh, re-election, and he has three challengers. He had he had four challengers, but now he only has three. One has dropped out, and that would be uh, uh, Jake Beckett, Jan Morgan, and uh, Pastor Heath Loftus. Uh, Michael Deal, who originally was running in the Republican primary, uh, had uh, dropped out, and so now it's only three. And uh, Bozeman has said he's running for re-election. Uh, it's been endorsed by uh, President uh, Trump. Uh, and, you know, Jake Beckett kind of made a splash. I think if y'all didn't hear about a couple uh, weeks ago, 
entered in the race, uh, former Arkansas Razorback, former NFL player, uh, you know, kind of running on this outsider, uh, conservative thought process. And I, I don't think a lot of people know uh, kind of how to how to take it, uh, per se. So, you know, that's a four four person race. More may come. Uh, if you all remember years ago, I think the U.S. Senate race with Senator Bozeman had about nine or ten people. Uh, so that that list uh, may grow. Of course, in D.C., Everyone wanted to talk to me about our governor's race. You have Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Attorney General Leslie Rutledge. I think most people know those are the two that are running. I don't hear of anyone else uh, getting into that race on the Republican side. And so I think that will play out however it will play out. Uh, and then the lieutenant governor's race is a race that's uh, you know pretty full. Uh, there may be another person that may want to enter into that race. Who knows? Uh, and that would that would be um, Doyle Webb, the former chairman, uh, senator of the Republican Party, Doyle Webb, uh, state senator Jason Rapert, uh, county Je- Washington County Judge Joseph Wood, and our current uh, Surgeon General, uh, Doctor Greg Bledsoe, and all four of them are running. There be more, maybe more people uh, uh, getting into it, and you know we'll see how that goes. That's that's probably the most interesting race. I often tell people when you decide on lieutenant governor, probably the biggest thing you need to ask yourself first before politics is, is this person, uh, man or woman, uh, ready to be governor tomorrow? And if the answer in your head is no, then that's probably a candidate that you shouldn't support because uh, historically here in Arkansas, our lieutenant governor has become governor uh, in the midst of, uh, uh, of scandals or other things that have happened. You have the attorney general's race. Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin's running for attorney general along with Leon Jones. And then you got the secretary of state's race uh, with uh, Secretary John Thurston and uh, uh, state representative Mark Lowry is also joining that primary as Republicans. So it's still early. We are actually only in July. The primary is May 24th of 2022. The people are already out there. Uh, there are still people uh, thinking about running for statewide office and other things. And then there are a lot of people thinking about running for state rep and state senate. I know many of the listeners uh, uh, that, that listen on this show are thinking about running for state rep or state senate. But a lot of that depends on redistricting. Where What district am I going to be in is the ultimate question. Typically by now, you would have already known. About everyone would have already announced by July, August, September. Uh, but the census numbers uh, aren't going to come in until later. You know, it's the Biden administration for you. Uh, Mid-August is what I'm hearing. And then that they would return, uh, you know, in October. Uh, and so... And then draw the lines, and then we'll know. And I think you'll have a lot more candidates uh, start announcing. So um, we'll talk more about redistricting and that process uh, when we get back here in a couple minutes. And we're going to go on break, and we'll be back. We are back with the Dave Ellswick Show here in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, this is not Dave Ellswick. This is Ken Yang filling in for the legendary, the great uh, Dave Ellswick uh, here at the studio. Dave's uh, out uh, uh, doing what he should do as a good uh, husband and taking care of his wife at an appointment this morning. So he's kind enough to ask me to, to fill in. And so uh, here uh, at the bottom of the hour, we'll have a congressman uh, 
uh, Westerman uh, call in about 10 minutes or so. We'll talk about things happening in D.C. But in the meantime, I mentioned we'll talk about uh, a little bit about redistricting. It's a complicated process. Uh, uh, Lines are always seemingly weird and gerrymandered. And I often tell people, you know, certain lines are drawn for certain people. Uh, you have majority minority districts, which have to be the majority uh, of, a, of a minority population in those districts, and or else Arkansas will uh, get sued. And so, uh, what they'll do is they'll redraw all the lines, all the districts that you have from one to one hundred. They will not be numbered the same. I see a lot of people say, "I will run for District 16." Well, District 16 is probably going to be District. 25 or it might be district 96 by the time they're all said and done in october so that's uh, something that people are, are looking at everyone every single legislator 135 of them are up for re-election there's not a single one of them that is not up for re-election there's a, you know rumors out there saying oh so certain people aren't no every single person is up for re-election in 2022 and uh, they either would get a primary or a general or uh, or both. And filing will happen uh, late February, early March of next year at the state capitol. And you'd file as a Republican, a Democrat, Independent. I think those are only three things you can file for right now. Libertarians aren't an official party yet, but uh, I think they're trying to get there. But I'd be remiss. Someone texted me about you know the new new laws. It's uh, July twenty eighth. That means all the laws that were passed in this past legislative session are now law of the land here in Arkansas. Uh, one of the more simple ones, uh, I suffer from road rage, and uh, one of the more simple laws passed this uh, year that I don't know why Arkansas never had is you cannot drive in the left lane anymore on the highway. Uh, left lane is for passing only. Uh, I don't know how quickly they'll put up those signs around the state of Arkansas, but no, if you are driving on the highway this morning, that the new law is left lane, passing only. You cannot drive 60 miles per hour in a 75 mile per hour highway and just stay in the left lane. You have to move over. And if you don't, you'll get a ticket. Uh, and it's my personal opinion, as you should, because you are the reason why uh, you are slowing up traffic in the morning here in the state when I'm driving from Benton to Little Rock. Like I said, I suffer from road rage. But uh, other laws uh, are in effect. Uh, for instance, the Fairness in Women's Sports Law that we thought would uh, uh, would be taken to court uh, was not. And so here in the state of Arkansas, Boy, biological boys have to play sports with biological boys and biological girls have to play sports with biological girls. That is now law. You cannot say, I feel like a woman like Shania Twain and, and decide that you want to uh, play women's sports. So, um, you know, it's sad that we had to pass a law like that. Senator Missy Irvin uh, championed that on the Senate end. And then uh, Senator, uh, Representative Sonia Barker championed that on the uh, uh, House end, along with the Republican Women's uh, Caucus. So that is, I'm so happy that that is now uh, law. Sad that we have to do that. You know, I know uh, Dave has talked about the two laws uh, passed that are now in court. SB6, banning of abortion, that would have became law today if it had been taken to court. And then the uh, SAFE Act, you know, banning of gender reassignment, surgery, uh, and experimentation on minors uh, that is also also in court. Uh, but now we have uh, medical rights of conscience. Senator Kim Hammer, as y'all have heard him on this show 
uh, many times before. Also has his own show uh, on the weekends. Uh, pushed uh, medical rights of conscience. Hel- our health care providers in the state of Arkansas now have medical rights of conscience where uh, they don't have to participate in non-emergency type care uh, when uh, they're in the uh, health care field. And I think that's uh, really important. Conscience is uh, super important. Religious liberty is super important when it comes to whatever job uh, that we're doing here in the state of Arkansas. And we're the third state to pass that. And we we probably have the strongest medical rights of conscience uh, bill uh, or law now uh, in the nation. And, uh, you know, I tell people all the time, usually when uh, when Planned Parenthood, ACLU, uh, Human Rights Campaign come out against a certain bill, it's probably a pretty good bill, probably a good freedom-loving liberty uh, bill to, to, per, to, to protect us. Uh, the COVID mask banning of mask mandate, it's now law today here in the state of Arkansas, wherever you live. Let me tell you, let me repeat this. No matter what the CDC says, wherever you live, whatever community, whatever uh, local town, city, county, uh, there is no one can pass a mask mandate uh, here in the state of Arkansas. Uh, Senator Trent Garner championed that bill, and state and local government, state and local officials cannot mandate any individual from wearing a mask. Now, if you still want to wear a mask, wear a mask. And I would encourage those that don't want to wear a mask and, and other people that want to wear a mask, leave them alone. The liberty and freedom goes both ways. But it is great uh, that we love freedom, we love liberty, we love personal responsibility. So if you want to wear a mask, go wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. No one is preventing you as a parent making your kids wear a mask. No one's preventing you as a parent wearing a mask. If you are a teacher, no one is preventing you as a teacher to wear a mask. So stop telling other people that they must wear a mask because you are afraid. And let me tell you something. I almost died of COVID. I almost died of COVID in February. It is a real thing. I understand it is a real thing because I went to the emergency room uh, twice uh, because of COVID and double pneumonia. But you know what? I also believe in liberty. I also believe in freedom. And I know uh, my, my friends do. And that's how it should be. Because, you know, I've often talked to my father who fled communist China, as many of y'all know. He said, you know, what's going to happen is going to happen. You know, don't be stupid. You know, obviously, if someone has COVID, don't, you know, go running around with them or go to their house and breathe their air and all that stuff. But be smart. Practice personal responsibility. We now have stand your ground. My goodness, it took us so long to have stand your ground. Senator uh, Bob Ballinger uh, championed that uh, two years ago, and and this time we uh, we finally we finally got it. And so, stand your ground is uh, now uh, law of the land. And we have voting changes. Uh, uh, voters uh, will have to you know actually present or copy an ID with their voting. You can't sign a thing saying, "Hey, I'm, I promise I am who I say I am." Please believe me. And uh, Representative Lowry. Uh, was a uh, key and and doing that and finally have school choice so uh even though it's only for a small amount of families we finally have school choice but 250 kids will get to participate in school choice hey guess what you know if we had school choice you could send your students 
to a school that had mask mandates if you so choose. But because we don't have school choice, you can't do it. You're stuck with the school that you are. So guess what? You want freedom. You know, actually, you know, Democrats and Republicans that don't support school choice support school choice. Uh, you know, that's a simple solution. Uh, Democrats act like, oh, so and so sending their kids to private schools. Well, that's a choice that they made. They didn't pull their kids out of uh, public schools because of the banning of the mask mandate and send them to private schools. Their kids had always gone to private schools. And so if we had school choice, you wouldn't have to worry about that. But I think this school choice program that Representative Bragg has put out is going to open the doors to say, hey, school choice is a, is a great thing. There are many laws that are uh, uh, in effect uh, today. If I have more time, I'll go over more of them. But uh, we're at a hard break now, and uh, here's the news. Yes, you are listening to The Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Ken Yang is filling in for Dave Ellswick as Dave is taking a day off today. He is with the Saline County Republican Party. We have news, we have traffic, and we have weather, and we will be back with Congressman Bruce Westerman on The Dave Ellswick Show. We are back at The Dave Ellswick Show here this morning. This is Ken Yang filling in for the great uh, Dave Ellswick. He is out this morning. Uh, we we're, were just waiting on uh, Congressman uh, Westerman to call in, and then we'll, we'll get him on. Uh, but uh, oh, I had it pulled up. I was going to say good morning, uh, Gary Adams. Good morning, Shelly Barron. Uh, good morning, Wayne Beach over there in uh, Saline County. And uh, appreciate y'all listening in. So we got Congressman uh, uh, Westerman now on, uh, and I uh, just left. Not left. Didn't leave too long uh, from D.C. Uh, Congressman Westerman. It actually wasn't uh, too bad, but maybe it's because I didn't stay up there long enough. <laughs> well, I don't know if you're talking about the heat or the, the the rest of the climate up here, but it's a it's a crazy hot place right now and humid. Well, I went to a Nats game, and of all Nats game to go to, Jen Saki threw out the first pitch, and I was the only one booing, apparently. So uh, You weren't able to get your pitcher with her? No, no. Um, she had to circle back with me on that. So Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, uh, I, it seems like uh, there's a lot going on in D.C. right now. Uh, there's a lot of talk about health care and the tying maybe of health care to infrastructure, uh, Medicare specifically. Uh, and, I, you know, you read the news, you don't really know what the truth is of saying, you know, people say, oh, they're going to uh, cause Medicare to shut down because they're going to take Medicare money to pay for infrastructure and things of that sort. So could you explain to the listeners, you know, what's actually happening with the health care and, and hopefully there's some good news on that front. Yeah, well, we've seen. Um, I'll try. I'll look at it from the infrastructure healthcare perspective because that's the way uh, Nancy Pelosi's trying to frame things right now. And it's not really uh, healthcare as far as you know lowering prices and you know looking at prescription drug costs and, and providing access for people. It's mainly just blowing up the. Uh, uh, the big government spending programs on Medicare and Medicaid, as well as a lot of other social programs that she wants to put in this three and a half or four trillion dollar um, adder onto uh, infrastructure. They're calling it social infrastructure. And you know, we think there's a better way to to address healthcare. And one thing that we're doing as Republicans is we formed a uh, 
a lot of task forces to put together policy proposals for the uh, um, for the next Congress. Actually, for this Congress, if we can get them put together, but the likelihood of Pelosi taking up one of our bills is probably not going to be too uh, too high. But I'm, I'm actually serving on one of the health care task force. I've got a bill up here called the Fair Care Act that um, it's it's about three years old now, and it keeps getting better with uh, with every iteration. And we've uh, um, you know it's, it's actually a bipartisan bill because it just looks at what are good ideas for for health care, and you know what can um, provide coverage to more people. And we're we're talking about private sector, you know, across the board, uh, what can lower costs for everyone um, and what can lower costs for uh, the government on the, uh, you know, the huge funding issues that we have with uh, health care. We're seeing right now the Medicare trust fund is running low. And if something doesn't happen in the next few years, it's going to get to the point where the only money in Medicare is what's being paid in by people working at the time. And we've got several trust funds like that, that uh, Social Security trust funds, another one, uh, that, uh, you know, we're looking at ways to, uh, we actually signed onto a piece of legislation yesterday to develop um, house-wide task force, uh, actually Congress-wide House and Senate, to look specifically at these trust funds because this is, we can create crisis situations if we have the, Social Security Trust Fund get to a point where the only thing being paid out is what's being paid in at the time. It will be massive cuts to to everybody on Social Security. And the you know the easy thing to do, I say easy, it, um, the the lazy thing to do is for Congress just to increase the debt more and and put more funding into it. And that's what you know that's the kicking the can down the road scenario that we've seen uh, for too long. But that you know that's some of a kind of a uh, thumbnail picture of some of the things that we're working on in those areas. But, uh, you know, I also was down on the southern border uh, at the end of last week, and that was an eye-opening experience. Yeah. Um, did you actually, you know, go to the actual border, uh, um, you know, unlike uh, our, our vice president, um, you know, do you do you think a lot of, you know, we mentioned health care infrastructure, um, uh, you know, I feel like a lot of this bleeds in together, especially when it comes to the border. Um, you know, I, I'd be interested in what you know what you saw. Uh, you know, compared to you know what the media is saying uh, of our border when it comes to you know uh, illegal immigrants crossing over and it kind of being out of control. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things. There's really no way to describe it until you see it. Like you know, I read the reports in the media, and and I go there and talk to border patrol agents and see what's happening on the ground, and I, I just can't believe the magnitude of it, and really the the minuscule amount of, cover, uh, amount of coverage that the media is giving to it. I went down to McAllen, uh, as I think you know, Ken. I'm on the Natural Resources Committee, and I serve as the ranking member on that. So. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I laid a Codell down there and we were looking at specifically, um, migrants crossing on federal lands because 40% of the border is, is federal government land. And 
there's a national wildlife refuge, the Santa Ana Wildlife Refuge, which is uh, it borders the Rio Grande. Um, and we spent some time out on that and in that area. Uh, and and we were looking for you know things like environmental damage to the to the federal lands, which you know the left gets up in arms about that unless it's illegal migrants causing the uh, the damage. Yeah. And we found some areas that had been trampled, you know, a lot of traffic, uh, but we also found a lot of trash um, that had been been thrown out. Uh, I was talking to one of the border patrol agents where we were, and he said. I mean, this looked terrible, but he said on a scale of one to ten, this would be like a one compared to what they see in places. And uh, he said they're constantly, you know, carrying trash bags with them and trying to to pick up trash, but wow. they can't really get ahead of it. And this was, we, you know, looking through the trash, there was it's everything from diapers to plastic bottles to trash bags to backpacks, clothing, um, and I, I even found a cell phone in it that I. I turned it on and it still had half the battery power in it. Uh, we found paper documents that were less than a week old. So we know it was trash that had just recently been, been put there, but you know, all of that is, is not good, but it really pales in comparison to the human tragedy that you see there. Um, is, you know, we is, got there. You know, is the administration not listening or they're, you know, they're not being briefed properly? Uh, you know, is is, 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 is there ever going to be a tipping point where, you know, they say, you know, this, this is, this is not, this is not good. Enough is enough. I don't know what they're, uh, it's almost like they're turning a blind eye, but it, it's a massive, massive operation down there. You know, we, we got out there. By the time we got there, and we wanted to be out at night because you usually see more activity at night in the in the heat of the summer. Mm. And uh, they have a, a processing area set up under one of the overpasses on the interstate. And they had 1,200 people in there at 1 o'clock in the morning. And, and there were still people walking up. And... You know, you had buses coming by and, and picking them up from this initial processing center. And people just, you know, literally walking out of the woods onto these dirt roads. And the, the Border Patrol has put signs up, you know, with arrows pointing how to get to the, the processing center. And then we, we went out the next day. Um, last stop I was there before before coming home, it was, you know, late afternoon, hot Texas uh, summer right there on the river and it was um it had rained a few days ago and the mosquitoes were, were atrocious but um you know all these people over 100 people just walked up to this one spot uh, you know five at a time a dozen at a time just coming out of the out of the bush there turning themselves into border patrol and these were uh, i saw pregnant women i saw people carrying infants um and, you know, they had just paid the cartels to cross the river. And you, know, I, you can't help but feel compassion for them and think, you know, if I was in their situation, I would probably do the same thing. Yeah. But it's our policies that are in, incentivizing people to come across. Um, the, the real, when you talk to the Border Patrol agents and they tell you that they've, read, they've apprehended people from 151 different countries, let that sink in. 
crossing the Rio Grande in Texas, 151 different countries. Um, they tell, I, I ask them, and we went out on the, the river with the Texas Highway Patrol in a, in a boat with machine guns on it. And uh, there were, you know, all these rafts that the, the traffickers used to haul people across the river. And they're just like a little rubber raft you would buy at the sporting goods store. And I asked the Border Patrol, why don't you why don't you get these people that are smuggling? And he said, if they see us and they've got people in the raft, said, they'll just start throwing them in the river. Babies, old people. He <laughs> said, and then our mission becomes a, a rescue rather than apprehending the, the bad guys. Wow. Um, that's, and these, these cartels are horrible. They're, um, you know, in meeting with Texas DPS, they showed us, you know, pictures of uh the executions that the cartels are doing on the the Mexican side of the border. And basically you don't cross through there without permission of the cartel. Uh, And you got, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, and and you know, you know, my background, I'm very passionate about immigration and there's a lot of, uh, compassion that can be had and a lot of anger, but, uh, and all that. But, uh, uh, we're going to go on break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll wrap up on talking about the, the border and maybe about immigration and uh, maybe even touch upon that, uh, you know, the first day of the 1-6 Commission uh, uh, met yesterday. So we'll be back here soon. We're back with the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Ken Yang filling in. Uh, Cong- we got Congressman uh, Westerman on, and we'll just get straight to it. We've got about seven minutes left, uh, uh, Congressman. Uh, I wanted to end a little on uh, immigration, hopefully have some time, just a little bit, talk about the uh, uh, what I believe is a sham of a commission. But uh, you painted a, just the picture of the border and everything. Really appreciate you going going down there, you know, more of your colleagues, especially your Democrat colleagues, need to go down there. But you know, you 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 painted this picture, and what what came to mind is you know these these hardworking uh, border patrol uh, folks. You know, are they just told to stand by, or you know, what are they you know told to do? I mean, the the amount of people coming crossing the border. You know, I know there's not enough. Uh, people to to stop that but you know when when they do see people as as you mentioned people uh crossing the border you know are they just told to sit and watch or what, what's what's actually happening well that's that's a good question to ask ken and I, I detected a lot of frustration with the border patrol they're not law enforcement officers right now they're paper pushers they're totally swamped filling out forms and paperwork that's not even really part of what their job's supposed to be. They're supposed to be enforcing border security. Um, you know, the bigger part of Department of Homeland Security, plus you've got Health and Human Services down there. And, you know, the, the Border Patrol has to deal with, with what comes to them. And they have to do it based on the direction they get from up above. So literally, they're just herding people into these processing centers, spending all their time filling out paperwork, putting them on buses, and shipping them to a HHS facility. Uh, they get no help from ICE and the other agencies um, that are also overwhelmed with people. So they're doing the work of multiple agencies, uh, and they're not doing the jobs that they're, they uh, join the Border Patrol for. And, you know, hearing their stories is probably one of the most impactful things to me. They talked about um, – 
you know, one instance, they, they talk about dealing with these young women that have been raped by these uh, cartel members that they can't even talk. All they're doing is sobbing. They're in shock. Wow. And they talked about, you know, uh, they were telling me a story of these three women that were d- dumped on the U.S. side totally naked. And the um, the coyote took off in the in the raft with their clothes. So they said, this is at night on a weekend, and they've got three naked women that they said, you don't cover this in, in your training. You know, what do you do? So they said they were like in the town of McAllen looking at clothes drop-off boxes, trying to dig out clothes to put on these women who were you know humiliated and traumatized and everything else. And that's what they're facing on a day-to-day basis while the administration is just acting like nothing's going on down there. Well, then you, we drove by, uh, drove by the HHS facility, which was massive, and um, they're not letting members of Congress come and visit right now. We didn't ask to visit it. The board told just told us that if you guys had asked to visit this, they they wouldn't have let you in. Which that infuriates me. It makes me wish we had known that to ask to go in because we'd have made a big issue out of that. Uh, and then. Um, I'll wrap it up here. On the flight home, you've got people getting on the airplane with these manila envelopes, and on one side it's got a printed message on it that says, uh, please help me, I cannot speak or read English. Please help me get on the correct plane. And on the other side it had their flight uh, written out on it. So they're, you know, at taxpayer expense, just shipping people all over the country. No, no, thank you for sharing that. It's just unfortunate the mainstream media won't report on that. And, you know, preaching to the choir, to the listeners, uh, you know, congressmen like Hill and Westerman going to the border and, you know, elections have consequences. You know, Biden talked about soul of the nation, and this is his his. A snapshot of his his soul uh, of the nation and so we got about uh, two and a half minutes or so i was actually in dc uh when uh, uh pelosi said no to uh, uh congressman mccarthy's majority uh, minority leaders uh, appointments to the one six commission of uh, jim banks and jim jordan and she said no to those two republicans it's supposed to be bipartisan but instead you had the uh, to I would say outcasts of the Republican Party, Cheney and uh, 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 I can't remember the the, the gentleman's name, K- Kissinger or whatever. Uh, you know, I, I just was wondering, you know, um, you know what the water cooler talk is about uh, uh, the first day of the commission meeting, and then obviously, you know, Pelosi, uh, you know, saying no to uh, whoever who the Republicans wanted on the commission. Yeah, well, they're they're setting a precedent. Remember when they uh, they did away with cloture to appoint Supreme Court justices yes. in the Senate? Well, they're they're doing the same thing with House rules. Never before has the minority not been able to appoint their members to committees. You know, they first said that they they voted to remove Marjorie Taylor Greene from her committees. Um, she was elected by her constituents, and she has a right to come up here and be on committees and have her voice heard. Just like Kevin McCarthy has a right to appoint whoever he wants to to a select committee that, that Pelosi sets up. So um, we knew that this was a, 
the main objective of Pelosi was to politicize this in the first place. And I found it interesting that, um, you know, Benny Thompson, the head of the committee, said the only thing that's off question is questioning Speaker Pelosi. Um, and the day on, on January the 6th, and, and there shortly after, when Pelosi fired the sergeant of arms and fired the police chief, you know, that told me that's where the book stops. And it made me wonder, you know, is she going to take any responsibility you know, at the time for you know, not having more security here? And that was just my initial impression before we found out all this stuff about how she had been told and rejected the, the National Guard. Um and then for them to set up this commission and say, oh, you can question anybody but the speaker. Well, I appreciate you continue to stand, stand firm. You know, one of the, you're one of the good ones. You know, I've always thought that even when you're here in the state legislature. So I appreciate the report. Appreciate you, you, uh, you know, standing up to, to, to Pelosi and standing for the truth in D.C. And appreciate you coming on this morning, Congressman. Good to be with you, Ken. 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 <laughs> no, Sounds good. good well, I'll talk to you soon. You have a great right. day, too. Well, we're uh, at a hard break. I think uh, is the news that's next. News is next. And uh, we'll be back at the top of the hour with Congressman Hill. song never uh, gets old uh, dave ellswick show i man i love i love that song and the and how how they do it for day this is dave ellswick show this morning but this is ken yang uh filling in uh, uh hello mary joe thank you for your kind comments on facebook kenny wallace thank you for uh, listening in I know uh, Tom Drogo is the owner of a Capital Bistro over there by the state capitol. He listens in uh, every morning, and he's on his way to to to, to work. So I'll give him a shout out too. But to where the top of the hour, we got uh, Congressman Hill uh, uh, on the on lo- on the phone. Uh, he's our congressman here in the second congressional district. He's my congressman, uh, great great congressman. And uh, how are you doing this morning, Congressman Hill? Ken, good to be with you. I hope you're doing great this week, and uh, glad you're filling in for today. No, appreciate it. Appreciate it. It was uh, uh, good. Good to be back in Arkansas uh, from D.C. I only got yelled at once for standing too close to someone. He turned around and said I wasn't social distancing, and I was standing too close to him. Uh, and that uh, you know, I thought I was going to get out of D.C. without getting yelled at, but I got yelled at once. That wasn't too bad. Um, 
Well, it was good to see you. Glad you stopped by, and uh, we had a visit. Glad you uh, got out. Actually went to a real meeting and saw real people that you network with across the country. And it uh, it has felt uh, pretty normal, but I think we're headed back today, from what I read, back into masking at the U.S. Capitol today. Oh my goodness, that's uh, that's unfortunate to hear. Uh, and even like I said, yeah, I was telling the people this morning. You know, it's it's a recommendation, but I, I don't think we know what uh, words mean anymore from the dictionary. But uh, we'll get straight to it. Um, as we know, I mean, it's it's in the media every day. I, I saw the chairman of uh, the Republican Party in Connecticut. You know, they're there in their legislature. Are, are they're talking about the rising crime in Connecticut, rising crime in Chicago, and and, and other places here and here in Arkansas itself. And we've we've seen the uh, just a rise in crime and violence uh, under uh, Biden's uh, uh, policy that uh, was supposedly supposed to supposed to stop it. Well, look, Joe Biden's, uh, you can tell uh, people by their budget what their priorities are. And Joe Biden proposes a budget with no increase for homeland security, no increase for immigration enforcement. And he proposes a cut in national defense. And this is just on the heels of now over a year where Democrats across the country and state and local governments, principally in city governments, principally in big city governments, have advocated for defunding the police. And now a year later, they're seeing the catastrophic uh, impact of that attack on our law enforcement uh, in two ways. First, cities like Austin, Texas, Seattle actually cut police. They now are having a crime crisis because they have no uh, officers out on the beat and citizens are, are complaining. And now they're trying to reverse themselves. Other places, maybe they didn't cut the budget, but they cut the morale. And due to the, the, the uh, way they treated their police, the lack of respect, uh, you're seeing people uh, in forces uh, retire in droves. And so we have a shortage of recruiting and retention in our police forces. And this all has to be laid at the feet of sort of a radical socialist far left agenda that many Democrats operating in cities and local governments and many here in the House of Representatives led by the far left uh, – uh, or catering to yeah um you know I, I i was just reading a quote from biden you know i think uh, his solution once again is to always go after guns and what he calls assault assault weapons i think he said quote you know uh you don't need to have a a weapon that can fire 30 40 50 rounds unless you're you're the deer is uh, wearing kevlar vests and you know that can just shows you how his misunderstanding of the Second Amendment. And he goes on to say that uh, community policing and programs uh, keep neighborhoods safe and are working. And that goes into your uh, uh, point about defunding the police and ignoring the police. But uh, you know, is there any way? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm always hopeful, maybe wrongfully optimistic that, you know, things like this, whether it's the banning of uh, his, his assault weapon ban that he promoted when he was senator and just this community policing type funding, uh, you know, are we going to see that go through the House of Representatives? Well, I, I hope uh, that we we don't. And I would argue that we've spent uh, one point nine 
trillion dollars this year in the American Rescue Plan, and a, a lot of that money, billions of it, went to state and local governments. And they can use that money, in my view, to demonstrate how much they support local police. While that money probably can't be used to hire officers, it can be used to buy equipment and upgrade uh, facilities and uh, help create better conditions for our police in the way of uh, cars or equipment and uh, support overall healthy budgets uh, in our state and local government. So I think it's time for our local governments to show how much we uh, support our police by funding the equipment they need and funding the officers that we need in the street. You can't have community policing if you don't have officers in the community. That's the insane aspect of what they're talking about. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's kind of, you know, as Jen Psaki just oddly, I say oddly, but lied to the American people saying that it was Republicans that wanted to defund the police. Uh, and as we know, that, that that's that's not true. Um I, I, you know, I, I don't know how much you uh, have kept uh, up with this uh, uh, there in D.C. I know it's been talked about, and it's in that crime uh, uh, realm, but it's more in the you know cyber terrorism realm of ransomware, as we saw with the with the pipeline earlier uh, uh, this year. You know, is Congress aggressively, is this a priority for the White House, a priority for Congress when it comes to cyber terrorism and ransomware when it comes to our, our government or even in, a, you know, in our uh, private entities? It is. Uh, I've been in, <clears throat> been in a lot of meetings about that. It's a priority for protecting uh, certainly all the federal government systems. And the FBI uh, does an outstanding job in ransomware-type investigations. And a lot of people uh, know the Colonial Pipeline story uh, about shutting down gas and gas prices spiking here on the East Coast, even higher than the Biden inflation spikes. But the FBI got that money back because of their ability to break the code on the Bitcoin ransomware that had been posted for Colonial Pipeline. And so the federal government works hard every day with the private sector to uh, beat the criminals who are posting ransomware or who are attacking our cyber uh, networks. But every private company uh, and even your own household needs to take uh care to make sure your network is updated, your passwords are strengthened, uh, and that you update your software and IT systems. And that's just the nature of uh, protecting yourself. But yes, uh, the Congress is very open to doing whatever we need to do on a bipartisan basis to support uh, law enforcement aspects of cyber attacks uh, or national defense uh, aspects of cyber attacks. Yeah, that's really good to hear. Uh, You know, for the longest time, uh you know, I know cyber terrorism hasn't been a, a, a priority. Uh, I remember when Speaker Gingrich would talk about it in the 90s and early 2000s. People looked at him like he was uh, uh, just, you know, dumb and, and didn't know what he was talking about. But uh, um, we're, uh, we've got a couple minutes before we go go on break. We'll touch about, you know, kind of two points. Uh, I know in, inflation's uh, just around the corner. Uh, you know, with the even the with the mass spending that Congress and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer wants to uh, do, I mean, you know, could you tell our listeners, you know, you know, what can we expect? You know, is it inflation all around? Is it just gas prices? You know, what what's going to happen? Well, I did a, a telecount hall uh, 
a few, maybe a month ago, and uh, we did a poll of that. Unbelievable people seeing inflation. And we've done some newsletter surveys out to our mailing list, and 94% said they were seeing high prices. You know, you've got food prices are up 7%. Uh, you've got milk up over 5 gas prices. Everybody knows this. they're up almost 45% from last year. And then the cost of housing and rent, uh, building materials. And I'd make two comments about inflation. And I've, I've told Jay Powell, the Federal Reserve chairman, you know, that I have a, a yellow warning light about inflation. He says it's temporary. He calls it transitory, that it's not getting embedded. But when I look at uh, labor rates and material rates, and I talk to uh, companies, uh, owners, small business people, workers, I see it in my own pricing and my own shopping. I have concerns that inflation is not transitory, that it's getting embedded. And you have to ask, well, why is that? I'd say there's three reasons. One is supply chains. I do think the pandemic disrupted supply chains. It costs more to get something shipped into the United States. We didn't have people working at full capacity. We have a chip shortage in the auto industry. So supply chains are part of it. But the other two items are spending trillions and trillions of dollars, including the $1.9 trillion that uh, Joe Biden got passed in February, and the $6 trillion he wants to spend now uh, that's just out of control. And you have the Federal Reserve buying U.S. Treasury securities, $120 billion a month, over a trillion dollars a year. <clears throat> Those three things are contributing to this inflationary environment. So what we have to be concerned about, if we think that's going to happen next year, people start raising prices and embedding it. And that's why I think it really hurts working families. It raises the cost of energy, food, everything that we use uh, in our daily lives. Well, well, as I mentioned, the elections, you know, have consequences. You know, I believe we'll take the House back in 2022. We're about to go on a break here. We'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about the border crisis. I know you've been at the border before. Congressman Westerman uh, talked a little bit about it earlier this morning. And then if we have time, we'll just kind of get your thoughts on the first day of the uh, one six uh, commission. So we'll be back here in a couple minutes. We're back with the Dave Ellswick Show. We got Congressman Hill. He's on here every Wednesday. Uh, you know, I, I can't express like how uh, lucky uh, you, that you that we have a congressman uh, that agrees to come on every Wednesday to talk about what's happening in D.C. to take questions, uh, to keep us updated, and most importantly, to advocate for our uh, conservative values here in the state of Arkansas. Uh, Congressman Hill was on. Uh, uh, Congressman Westerman was on earlier uh, this morning talking about the border, and I know you hit. You had you've uh, uh, gone to the border too. Um, you know, I just want to kind of get your what your thoughts are on the border crisis. Uh, Congressman Westerman painted you know real vivid uh, pictures of the destruction that's happening to our lands, of the 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 uh, the women and the children that are suffering, and the cartels that seem to be running rampant, and how our border patrol people, as uh, Congressman Westerman said, are just uh, paper pushers. And uh, you know, do you see anything that's going to fix this? Do, you know, is, is Joe biden just turning a blind eye or are they not being briefed properly well look this is just another example of uh, joe biden's mismanagement of the u.s i mean this just to me it borders on incompetence uh his economic policies we talked about the impact on inflation i think he's an economic illiterate but when it comes to running the border and the border crisis 
it's just mismanagement. I mean, Trump and Trump's people had the border under control. We had good policies to protect America for public health. We kept people out of the country because of the public health crisis. If you wanted to get asylum, uh, come to the United States because you're afraid of your home country. We worked out a plan with uh, Mexico for you to remain in Mexico and get vetted before you came in the country uh, to try to seek asylum. We encouraged the Central Americans to stay in Central America, and we worked out a plan on that with those countries. Biden abandoned all that. And when he abandoned all of it and said basically America is open, we've now had a million people arrested at the southwest border in the first six months of the year since Biden became president. A million people. That's the most since 2006. We've never had this (coughs) surge in years, and it's because of Biden having bad border policies. Uh, And that's just the bottom line. And on top of that, Ken, these people are not tested for COVID-19. So when people come into the U.S. and we arrest them, we put them in a processing facility. They're not tested for COVID-19 unless they are exhibiting symptoms and they're not vaccinated. And so we have all these rules about everything we have to do for uh, public health. But we're letting these people come in uh, every month. Last month, we had about 180,000 people again get apprehended at the border. And the ones that are seeking asylum Uh, I think through this year, at least 50,000 people who've been seeking asylum have just been released into the U.S. with a cell phone number. Well, so so we're not we're not even are we sending any of these folks back to to where they came from? If they're, you know, crossing illegally, whether it's the hundred and eighty or the million. I mean, are they just, you know, allowed to stay under under Title 42? If you're over 18 years old and uh, not a child, in other words, an adult. And we catch you. uh, And under Title 42, we are deporting them because Title 42 is our public health declaration that President Trump put in uh, order because we have a national health emergency in the United States. And along the border right now, we're actually seeing new variants of COVID-19, not Delta, but a different variant. And it's coming in from Central America. And who's it coming in by? Illegal people crossing our border. And so... We are deporting those people, but if you're seeking asylum, you have a different process, and you can come into the United States and stay. And if you're a family unit, you're coming into the U.S. and you're staying until your court date. And so those uh, folks, thousands of them, are being transported all over the U.S., and they may or may not have COVID-19, and they may or may not have been documented uh, properly because the system on the southwest border is overwhelmed. And the cartels are making millions, millions a month uh, from transporting people. They make five, six thousand dollars per person crossed the American border. And so they're making millions and their drugs are coming into the country unabated because our uniform people are busy dealing with the migrant traffic at the border. And so the cartels use that as a diversion. And we've interdicted enough fentanyl, the worst kind of uh, drug manufactured in China and Mexico. Uh, We've interdicted enough fentanyl so far this year to kill every American. Uh, Wow. Unprecedented. Wow. I mean, the the list just seems to go on and on and on about the ineptitude of uh, the the Biden-Harris administration and and then bleeding into uh, the leadership of Pelosi and Schumer. 
But, you know, I know on social media and the mainstream media, the talk of the town is the uh, first meeting of the 1-6 commission yep. that's, you know, been, uh, you know, not, not really bipartisan anymore. I was up in D.C. when Pelosi said no to Congressman Banks and Jordan being on the commission. You know, so what, you know, what are your thoughts on the first day and, and your thoughts on uh, uh, Speaker Pelosi saying no to who the uh, Republicans appointed to be on the commission? Well, when the attack on the Capitol happened in January, uh, in the second week of January or so, I endorsed the idea of a bipartisan commission, equal Republicans, equal Democrats, equal subpoena power, equal control over the staff to investigate why our Capitol was not protected. Why did Speaker Pelosi not have Metropolitan Police or D.C. National Guard there to back up the perimeter of our Capitol Police. Why were our Capitol Police deserted? Why was the intelligence about particular uh, groups not listened to in the run-up to January 6th? And that's why I wanted a strong bipartisan commission. Well, that didn't happen. That was voted down. And so uh, what we get now is a fully partisan operation run by the Speaker's office. And guess what she said yesterday that was un. Uh, Benny Thompson from Mississippi, who's her chairman of this so-called investigation, said the one office off limits for investigation by the investigation, her office. Wow. Her office. They've taken the speaker's office and the speaker's process, the speaker's notes, the speaker's phone calls about leading up to uh, January 6th and the security situation. That can't be asked about. Wow. And so I just I have no confidence that we're going to get. Well, uh, yeah. a true investigation here. And look, it's even if it was a good job, it'll all All right, Congressman, we are just about to uh, go yeah. to our break. So we thank you well, for appreciate coming on. It. I appreciate it, Congressman. We're on a hard break, but all thank you for coming on. We are back with the last half hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, this is Ken Yang filling in for the legendary Dave Ellswick. Uh, I, like I said, I'm trying to follow uh, the Facebook page as much as possible. Uh, good morning, uh, Greg, Wayne. Uh, good morning, Bobby Wilson. Bobby, uh, yes, Congressman Westerman did come in at uh, it's about 6.30. But uh, for everyone listening, you can you know go on the podcast, go on the Facebook page for one oh one five FM and, and watch it later, but he did come in earlier and it, it was a great interview about uh, um, uh, the border and what he saw. Uh, so this in the last half hour, I wanted to bring in more kind of state uh, legislative uh, uh, topics in the state legislature and what's happening here in the state of Arkansas, especially with the new laws in, in place. So we have uh, State Senator uh, Ben Gilmore on the line who, who covers most of uh, South uh, East Arkansas. And uh, State Senator Charles Beckham, we're, we're trying to figure it out. Well, they're, sp- they're both supposed to be calling in. State Senator Charles Beckham, who covers South Arkansas from Columbia to about uh, Grant County. And they're going to be on uh, to, to kind of talk about uh, uh, the mask mandate, uh, maybe a little bit about vaccines, and kind of what uh, other parts of the state uh, are looking at. And we hear a lot about Central Arkansas and, and seeing what uh, is happening here. So I, I believe they're they're both on now. Senator Gilmore, Senator Beckham, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Ken. Well, I appreciate y'all coming on. Uh, you know, sometimes we're Central Arkansas uh, we're kind of we think we're the, the center of of the world, and nothing else is happening outside of 
here in Central Arkansas. So I wanted to ask y'all, you know, the the new ma- banning of mass mandate laws now into effect, but there's been a lot of talk about the possibility of a special session. But I think the most important thing is, you know, what do the people want? And so, you know, could you let the listeners know to like, you know, over there in Southeast Arkansas, over there in South Arkansas, you know, what are you hearing uh, from your people about COVID and the mask mandate? And do, do they do they like the banning of it and all those good things? And we'll start with Senator Beckham first. Yeah, Ken Beggs, uh, in my district, the uh, constituents have reached out to me. It's probably... <clears throat> Conservatively, ten to one. Uh, for every one person that, that would like us to uh, come back in and take another look at the mandates uh, of, the, of the bill, I think it was Act One Zero Zero Two. I think this was the number. For every one person that wants us to take another look at that and, and possibly lift the uh, restrictions so that schools uh, have the ability to enforce mask mandates, I have about ten that want us to leave it as it is. It's. Um, yeah, I think people were just uh, aggravated about the, uh, the the mandates that were pushed down last year, and uh, they would they would rather make the decisions locally. And when I say locally, they want the ultimate local control, which is individual individual choices. I love it. I love it, Senator uh, Senator Gilmore. What are you hearing down there in uh, 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 Southeast Arkansas? I know you have a pretty big. Uh, uh, district down there with yeah, I can't remember how many counties you you cover. So you know, do you get a lot of calls or emails about uh, what what you should or shouldn't do? Well, certainly. And and first of all, Ken, good morning. Great to be with you. And I just for all your listeners, I want I want to say this. Um, you know, Ken, we are we are so glad that you are engaged and involved. Um, you are one of the staunchest conservatives that I know, and I appreciate all that you do. Uh, and what you do does not go unnoticed. But to answer the question, absolutely, uh, hearing from folks. And to Senator Beckham's point, um, you know, I think there's a lot of aggravation, a lot of, of um, you know, people not appreciating the fact that they were being told what to do and being told to, to um, do things that were, in their mind, probably just didn't make sense with a lot of the guidance that was coming out and changed almost daily. Um, but at the end of the day, people want their individual liberty, right? This is a personal liberty issue. Um, people want to be able to make what the decision that's best for them and for their family and for their children. And, and I think that we can trust our Kansans to do what is best for them, to talk with their physician, talk with their healthcare provider and come up with, uh, what's best as far if that's wearing a mask or not, if that's getting a vaccine or not. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I'm hearing from folks, and again, kind of to Senator Beckham's point, it's about 10 to 1, uh, of folks who say, you know, don't mandate the mask, don't go back into session and, and, and then tell us what we have to do uh, and how we have to address this and handle this. Um, and I'm, I'm hearing from a lot of parents who don't want their kids to be forced to, to wear a mask in school. Now, I feel like that they're going to do what's best for everyone, and I think there's a lot of parents who are, you know, going to make the decision to maybe have their kids wear a mask, right? But they want the ability to do that after talking to their health care provider or whatever or whoever that is. 
um, and, and determine what that is. Yeah, that, at the end of the day, they're yeah. going to protect their kids. I mean, that's right. I mean, I, I said at the beginning of the show, I, I just don't understand uh, uh, some some of the people, uh, particularly the, the left and the liberal, and even the mainstream media that's reporting about COVID. Uh, you know, I tell people, no, no one's preventing parents from wearing masks. No one's preventing parents from telling their kids, hey, when you go to school, you have to wear a mask. And if you're a teacher, no one is preventing you as a teacher or as administrator from wearing masks. You get to decide yourself, yeah. but you don't get to decide other people's liberties and freedoms. And so I think the worry from what I've seen on social media and even in the news, you know, the governor mentioned he's going to be talking to legislators. I think uh, a question that was asked, is there a possibility of a special session to reverse Senator Garner's uh, uh, banning of mask mandates? And we'll start with you, Senator Gilmore. Yeah, so uh, I'm hearing talk about that. I've had folks reaching out, you know, who have heard it. Um, I will say that, you know, the governor hasn't called me um, to to talk about the mask, uh, the, you know, banning or, or, uh, you know, trying to institute another mask mandate. Um, so, you know, I think it's yet to be seen if we actually go back into a uh, special session to address it. Um, you know, uh, for all your listeners, I supported Senator Garner's bill um, uh, just because I do believe in personal liberty. I do believe in allowing people to make the decision that's best for them. Um, so, you know, if we go back to the special session, my my view on that's not going to change. Yeah. Well, Senator Beckham, I kind of asked you the same question, but a little bit differently. Uh, you know, has the governor reached out to you? Do you think there's going to be a special session? Do you think there should be a special session to even address uh, uh, the mask mandate? No, I, I, the, the governor is not. The governor or, nor his office reached out to me. Um, regarding my viewpoints, I think I'm, I'm pretty pretty consistent uh when i vote one way i don't uh i don't come back and flip my decision uh the the way that i voted and the support that i had for senator garner's bill initially uh is the same as i have now there's a there's a balance between safety and liberties that that we have to maintain we have to maintain it across society and uh, i don't think that there's enough uh a big enough risk at this time for me to give up those liberties. And I, I haven't seen the information. I haven't seen the the guidance that suggests that we, we should give up those liberties uh, for COVID-19 at this time. I love it. So it, you I, know, I have, I have yeah. no, no, no desire to change my vote, to change the, uh, the voting of the bill. And I, I, I don't think that there's enough senators from the few that I've talked to yeah. that are, are willing to come in and change their, their voting. Yeah, oh, I just love it, and the reason I'm I'm so glad y'all agreed to to be on. you know, both of my my friends, so the listeners know. But I wanted to listen, you know, here in Central Arkansas, and those listening outside of Arkansas on on the Facebook page and uh, outside of Central Arkansas know that you know you hear a lot of this gloom and doom and all this other stuff with the Republican Party. But these are two state senators, as you can already tell, that are conservative, that listens to their constituents, that believe in liberty, that believe in, in freedom, and that believe in the ultimate control of, of personal uh, uh, responsibility. And so it's just 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 so the listeners know, there's, there's more uh, of, of people like Senator Gilmore and Senator Beckham here in the state of Arkansas. And, uh, you know, they're always advocating 
for the values that uh, that we hold dear. So, you know, I'll kind of pivot and then, you know, we'll probably we'll have about two minutes here and then we'll come back and talk more about it. Uh, you know, you have uh, redistricting just around the corner. Uh, you are supposed to, uh, if there's no special session for the banning of the uh, reversal of the banning of the mass mandates, there'll be a special session uh, probably in October to do with the uh, uh, redistricting and uh, hopefully tax cuts. But, uh, you know, what are you hearing on redistricting and the census data? And, you know, do you think we'll get, you know, are we going to get all that done in a, in a timely manner uh, by, you know, by October or early November? And uh, Senator Gilmore? Well, yeah, I, I think the goal is to try to get it done as quickly as possible. Um, but, Ken, as you know well, the Biden administration has been sitting on the data doing, you know, who knows what. Um, and so that and, and, you know, they've intentionally, I think, taken longer to, quote unquote, process census data uh, than than any other administration from from what I can tell. Um, so, you know, it's a little bit frustrating, I think, for the state because we have to you know, start this process, but we don't have the numbers to do that. And so we're not I don't think we're going to get the numbers until, you know, maybe September. Um, you know, we're probably going to come back in in October and try to address this. But you know, then it's crunch time, right? And so uh, I think just another example of, you know, the Biden administration and uh, their, you know, apathy or complacency or uh, just downright, uh, they don't, they don't care um, attitude. And, um, you know, it's a problem. And it's going to put a lot of states in in a bind, yeah. um, you know, going forward that have to get these districts drawn, um, you know, before the end of the year or early next year. No, well, well, you know the Biden administration and you know just at the get go was always trying to, uh, you know, try to try to make the numbers to what what they what they want it to be. We'll, we're about to go on break. Uh, we'll start with you, Senator Beckham. When we get back, we'll talk about the one billion dollar surplus we have in the state of Arkansas, the possible ses- special session to cut taxes, and what you think we should do, what you think will happen, and we'll be right back here in a couple minutes. Thank you so much. Uh, we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is our last segment uh, before uh, we uh, uh, jump off. Jump off here. We got local uh, uh, legislative uh, legislators uh, on on with us. Senator Beckham, Senator uh, uh, Gilmore uh, down there in South Arkansas. Just quick shout out to Jan Alexander for for listening. Uh, all the others that are listening, and uh, you know I'd have to tell Dave Ellswick. You know he's technically international. Uh, one of my foreign exchange friends, uh, Han Gul Yu from uh, South Korea, just messaged me that he's listening in from South Korea, which is pretty cool. So, but uh, Senator Beckham, I kind of had a question for you before we went to break. Is uh, we got one billion dollars in surplus, and we're you know we're the ta- our taxes here in Arkansas are just through the roof, and I want to believe that we'll, y'all will cut taxes when you come back this fall. Is that going to happen? And, and and what taxes do you think we should cut? Yeah, uh, thanks, Ken. We we the, what the hard part is. Yes, we have a billion dollar surplus, or close to a billion dollar surplus. But what the hard part is is trying to figure out what we really have and what's been put in by the federal dollars. Uh, you know, and and it looks to be from from the surface level it looks like you just take the amount of money the federal government gave to the state of Arkansas and take that out with the ARPA money and all the other the other stimulus money but what what the challenge is is how much did the 
payments, the direct individual payments, how much did those impact the economy? So when someone received the uh, stimulus payment for their, their children, their family, many people went out and spent those on uh, consumer goods, electronics, things like that. That turned into sales tax revenue. We will not see that type of spending going forward. So we're trying to uh, really understand what we actually have and how much is just one-time spend because what many people fail to realize, don't realize, is that when we do general revenue tax cuts, we have to either cut services, cut spending, or have a way of replacing that. And what we do not want to do is revenue neutral, so-called revenue neutral tax cuts, where we, we decrease the taxes here. And historically, when we've decreased any tax, we've always increased it somewhere else. And that increase has never been neutral. It's always been substantially higher. So what we want to do is, as the governor outlined way back in January, is is a tax cut that's meaningful. And I believe the, the initial thing we're going to look at from everything I've heard and from what I've been looking at is income tax cuts. And, and we're going to start uh, tiptoeing into how much we can actually take the burden off the working people in Arkansas. I love it. I love the, you know, no, no revenue neutral crap. Uh, and, you know, actually, you know, helping the people of, of Arkansas and actually, you know, cutting taxes in a proper way and not raising taxes some somewhere else. As I said, a billion dollars, you could give every single 18-year-old plus $400 of their own money back, and general revenue would still have $200 million left. But Senator Gilmore, uh, you know, what are your thoughts? What should we be doing with the, with this revenue? How should we be cutting taxes? And, and are we actually going to cut taxes? Yeah, well, I agree with uh, Senator Beckham, and he made a, a great point about the revenue neutral. Uh, you know, we, we've done that for a, a while in Arkansas. It's it's kind of been more of a shell game than anything else, you know, moving money around, say we're cutting taxes. And I think people see through that, you know. Um, and, what, what, and the way they see through it is when it comes time and they're paying their taxes and they're not, you know, they're still getting, you know, money out of their pocket, right? Um, so we need to make sure that we are, um, you know, first of all, spending money wisely on a state level, right? There's always things that we can do to cut waste, to cut uh, unneeded you know, expenses and services, and, you know, return those monies back to the taxpayer. Um, so there's a definite appetite in the legislature for tax cuts. Income tax cuts is certainly uh, one of those. And, you know, but I, I think we've also got to look at, other things that make us more um, business um, competitive, more business friendly. Um, and, you know, there's there's bills like uh, a bill that I filed with Representative Howard Beatty um, that would match the depreciation table from state and federal. That alone would save businesses, farmers, um, and, and just individuals a ton of money um, going forward because they wouldn't have to keep two depreciation tables, the accounting fees associated with that. Uh, it reduces a lot of the headache for accountants. Um, so, you know, there, there's things like that that we need to look at that say, okay, well, we're, 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 we need to cut the income tax, certainly. But what can we do to also make our state more business friendly and a better business climate to attract more jobs and to be more competitive with everyone around us? So keep in mind, and for all your listeners, 
you know, we're surrounded by states that have zero income tax. Um, and if you look at the economic growth that these states have seen, while also looking at the fact that a lot of them have fewer state employees per 10,000 people. I'm not saying that you got to fire a bunch of people. I'm saying use natural attrition as an ally. Um, so we've just we've got to get more serious about making cuts where needed and lowering taxes to, to help grow the economy and grow jobs. I love it. I hope more of y'all's colleagues will uh, 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 talk talk more about that uh, when y'all come back. And you know, as, as a pessimist, but uh, you know, as you, you both of y'all mentioned, it's been a shell game of, uh, of moving money around and not really cutting people's taxes. You know, cutting people's taxes here, then taking a little more out of the out of their back pocket. Uh, Senator uh, Gilmore, Senator Beckham, thank you all so much for being on uh, this morning. Uh, for the listeners, you can find them on Facebook, State Senator Char- Charles Beckham, uh, Senator Ben Gilmore. Find them. Uh, thank them for their good work. You know, If you're in their district, contact them if you ever need anything. And appreciate all the hard work that you all do. Thank you, Ken. Yeah, Great to be again. with you. And, again, I appreciate, I appreciate all that you do as well. Thank you, Senator. Thank you. Well, we're at the uh, top of the hour, bottom of the hour. I don't know which one to call. This is my first time guest hosting, so hopefully it wasn't too bad. But, uh, you know, we'll be back tomorrow. I'll be back here tomorrow, not guest hosting. So if you didn't like the show today, uh, uh, you know, Dave will be back tomorrow. He'll be back tomorrow. JR and I will be on at our usual hour from 6 to 7 uh, tomorrow. That's Thursday. And so hope you uh, enjoy the show. Have a great day. Have a blessed day. And uh, keep on fighting for our liberty and freedoms. Thank you so much.